You recall uh, learning to drive. You call, recall when you learned how to drive. What gave you the most trouble in that task? What do you think gave you the most trouble? If you want a funny part, it wasn't really funny. It's turning left to go in our basement. You have to make a left and you have to go slowly to get through the door because it's not much wider than the car. Well, my first trip back, I was yakking away and my father was with me, coming back from a flute lesson. And I turned and he said later, I wondered if you were going to slow down and I didn't slow down. So I got the right side of the door. Oh, goodness. <laughs> so the car was okay. The door frame had to be worked. Oh, no. What did you say? Mine was parallel parking. It took me forever to get a driver's license because I couldn't parallel park. I had a problem with parallel parking <laughs> when I went to have the test. I was learning to drive, but when I had the test and the, uh, the uh, what do you call it, the inspector or the instructor, instructor, I instructor was sitting next to me rating everything I did, and, and he told me to parallel park between those two cars up there. <laughs> Oh, okay. And so I pulled up past the spot, you know, and did just a beautiful, I was so proud of myself. I just did, pulled right in there, parallel park. And I said, I'm so proud. I said, there. And he says, I ought to, uh, I ought to fail you now. That, that'll give you a failing score. And I said, I said, why? And he says, didn't you see there's a fire plug right there where I told you to park? That was a trick. <laughs> yeah, I said, oh my word. But he says, I don't understand you're nervous, and you probably didn't see it, which I didn't, of course. But he had done that on purpose. Yeah. So what did you say about it? Changing gears. Changing gears gave you problems? Clutch, the clutch and changing gears. And that gave me the most problem. Back in the early 50s, of course, that what well, I was learning to drive, and it was a, a manual transmission, and, and get the sync between the the clutch, you know, you know, in a pickup truck, and and so uh, that game because you when you do that, it just takes a little. You got to find the spot, you know, and and so uh, it, you would go, you know, you had a creak in your neck, you had a problem. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it was it was the stop and stop and go, stop and go, and and uh, and also when you're driving, as you start to slow down, you've got to disengage the clutch before you completely stop. If you don't, if you just brake to a stop, what happens? You die. Yeah, <laughs> you just stalled the car. You just stalled the car. Uh, well. Stalling can be intentional. Stalling can be unintentional. In the case of me learning to drive, stalling the engine, I hence the car's movement. Uh, that was unintentional. I didn't mean to do that. All right. But in, and in our Christian journey of faith, it's possible to stall out, isn't it? Our devotion begins to, to lag sometimes. Other things begin to take priority in our lives. We don't intend for that to happen, but uh, 
but if, if our daily walk is like a, like a set of railroad tracks, and we've used this illustration before, set of railroad tracks, you know, we'll find ourselves where? Off on the siding, all right? Not where we needed to be, we'd just be parked. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, this is not uncommon. This, you probably had that experience, perhaps. Perhaps, I should say, you've had that experience. I think we all have. Uh, and uh, and that's why uh, churches have, or they used to have anyway, revivals, you know, get going. All right, again, get back on track. And, and we also know that uh, we, in life, if we uh, stop or delay something taking place, uh, our stalling is definitely on purpose. It's intentional. Well, our lesson today uh, carries the title Stalled, and, and, and it has the lesson statement, God expects his directions to be carried out. And I uh, put an outline on the board for that, and I'll get to that in a minute. Uh, after today, we will have finished the first section of uh, Genesis. The first 11 chapters and, uh, and and from there we'll pick up uh, the faith journey of a man named Abram that is Abraham all right uh, when God created mankind uh, we'll go back now into Genesis uh, 1 chapter 1 verse 28 says that God blessed them and said to them be fruitful multiply and do what fill the earth <laughs> all right when noah and his sons uh exited the ark following the great flood uh, genesis 9 1 says god blessed noah and his sons and said to them be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth God repeated himself for emphasis, no doubt, in Genesis 9, 7, where he says, But you be fruitful and multiply. Spread out over the earth and multiply on it. So we read also in chapter 9, uh, verses 18 and 19, 19, Noah's sons who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were Noah's sons, and from them the earth was populated. From them the earth was populated. Well, as we will see, they got the multiply part right, naturally. However, there was a, a hang-up with regard to the spreading over the earth part. Near the end of, of chapter 9, if you're looking in your Bibles, there was a family incident recorded there in which Canaan, the son of Ham, is cursed by Noah and uh, prophesied to be subservient to his brothers Shem and Japheth. But chapter 9 closes uh, with these words. Now Noah lived 350 years after the flood. 
So Noah's life lasted 950 years. Then he died. Right? Noah was one of the good guys. Though he was a sinner, he found favor with God in whom he believed. Well, the Bible goes on to tell us then about the formation of 70 nations. 70 nations. And so I've selected to use this following outline today for us. Point number one being nations are formed. That's the entire chapter 10 of Genesis. Point number two being an arrogant people. Genesis 11, verses 1 through 4. And finally, point three being an intervening God. Chapter 11, verses 5 through 9. Okay. Chapter uh, 10 begins this way. These are the family records of Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. They also had sons after the flood. Japheth's sons, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshach, well, <coughs> you get the idea. I'm not going to read all of those. Okay? I'm not going to read all those. But uh, it, it finishes up in first, with verse 5. From these descendants, the peoples of the coasts and islands spread out into their lands according to their clans in their nations, each with its own language. All right. Next comes Ham's sons, and it's a similar presentation, uh, ending with verse 20, where it says, These are Ham's sons by their clans, according to their languages and their lands and their nations. And finally, there's Shem's sons, starting in verse 21 and ending in verse 31. Verse 31, chapter 10 which reads, These are Shem's sons, and by their clans, according to their languages, in their lands, and their nations. These are the clans of Noah's sons, according to their family records, in their nations. The nations on earth spread out from these after the flood. Okay. Now then, if I can get this to work, I'm going to try something to here. <laughs> uh, it's, when you're using an iPad, sometimes things don't turn out too well. Okay. It's not like using a, a, a laptop computer. And besides, this is an Apple product. And Have you got this version of the Bible on your on your tablet? Yes, I do. Okay. I need to have conference one day. <laughs> well, there's several ways of doing that, by the way. Well, the easy way. All right. What did I do? Here we go. All right. Let me see if I can pull this up. Uh, it's a little different from a PowerPoint presentation. All right. Let's see if I can get this going. All right.
All right, good. This is what, what you might call semi-family tree. I know the printing is small from where you are, but it's all, it's Noah and all of his sons, Japheth, Shem, and Ham, and all their sons, all right? And this is a pretty big thing. You can go online and find this at biblestudy.org, all right? And we're not going to go through here. You'll recognize some of the names in here. You, you may Magog, you may recognize that name. Um, <coughs> you will recognize Tarshish, of course. And, uh, and you might recognize Peleg, or you, uh, let's see, Cush, the Cushites. Uh, and let's see here. There are others uh, that you might recognize. Uh, that's going to come up in a later study. Uh, but these, and if, and if you count these, and I haven't done this, but I'm told there's 70. 70. But it doesn't mean, these are the sons. Everything in, in here, if you've noticed, is uh, patriarch. It has like a patriarch charge. No, had a lot of no. <laughs> If they're going to have all these, you know, they've got to be women involved, right? Yeah. They're not listed, okay? Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of daughters in here. So this represents a lot of people, all right? That, that's really. Can't you imagine what a family would have been like? Can't you imagine that? Well, that's uh, uh it, and that's what chapter 10 tells us. It tells us about all these places. And it also tells us what? That they all were spread out to different nations. They all formed different nations. There were 70 nations, it's assumed. 70 of them, and they all had their own language. They didn't just all die, that was <laughs> Yeah. Well, if you just, if, if, if you just read chapter 10, and if the Bible just went from... Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, well, I've got another thing. Did find. you say they had different languages? Yeah. But it says in chapter 11. Well, uh, yeah, we're in chapter 10. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, they, they had the same language. <laughs> well, goodness, something's messed up. Yeah. Yeah, something. Well, we'll get to that in just a minute. Uh, but when they spread out, eventually, they did spread out, and uh, if we can, if I can find it uh, here, how to go up? Here's a map. Here's a map. Here's a map. These were the air general areas, and this is not detailed. But if you can see uh, this map, this would represent the area that Shem, all of his, his clans went to, Ham, Japheth, Noah. Now then, it's difficult to see here, but they all, there's a kind of an overlap, and it occurs right in this region here, you can see, right in, right in here. You recognize some places, places here, uh, Babylon, we know about Babylon. Over here is Jericho, uh, Mount Sinai, uh, uh, Mount Ararat, uh, 
that's the main peak of that mountain range there. But, uh, and and what the Bible says, that's where the ark came to rest, on Mount Aaron. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't know it's, if it's where, where this one is, really. It may be the one we know, which peaks out at about 17,000 feet, I think. Pretty, pretty high. But this, this is how they all spread out. Pretty big area, all right, uh, initially. That's where they went. Uh, and uh, now if we were to skip from this part, the end of chapter 10, knowing all of this, we were to skip from this part and go to the latter part of chapter 11, starting with verse 10, we would think, Everything was hunky dory. They were, they did exactly what God had told them to do. No problems. All right. That's what it would do. We just assume that uh, they'd done a good job of obeying God's directions to fill the earth. But as Charlotte just pointed out, when you get to chapter eleven. We find out, well, there was some hiccup. There was a stall out, if you will. Okay? And that was, so what was not the case? What we read about in chapter 11 is an arrogant people. That's what we find in chapter, beginning of chapter 11. And so when you come to chapter 11, then what we've got really is, is a flashback, isn't it? You like flashbacks? Mm-hmm. You ever watch it? A program on TV or been to a movie where it starts out and it flashes back to some time before, then and it goes back and forth. You can get so lost in that. <laughs> but it's a way of looking back. All right. And, it's, and, and what with what the writer here Moses has done, he's he's led you down a path. Now he's going to give you the the real story. Okay. He's going to give you. Give us the, the real story here. Uh, so we're actually going all the way back to the time before the nations were formed. All right, back time for nations formed. For it begins this way in chapter eleven: the whole earth had the same language and vocabulary. So that's how we know the whole the same language. All right. Well, that's different, isn't it? But that's how they were. Uh, that's how it was when they came out. Okay, when they came out from the ark, and how they settled. So there were lots of people. They all had the same language, the same vocabulary. They could all communicate well with one another. Not only were their words the same, everyone used the same figures of speech, had the same dialect. I don't know, you know maybe they spoke, uh, you know, we all, we speak English, but we have a southern accent. Maybe, maybe that's what they had. Maybe they, they all talk southern. I don't know. <laughs> but, so, you know, I, I, I read some, uh, in my preparation, I read some silly quotes about uh, uh, about 
language. Uh, one was some people use language to express thought, some to conceal thought, and others instead of thought. <laughs> In other words, our language in America is called the mother tongue. That's because father so seldom gets to use it. <laughs> anyway, foolishness. All right. Well, going on with uh, verse 2, as people migrated from the east, they found a valley in the land of Shinar, or Shinar, uh, pronunciations up for grabs, and settled there. They settled there. From the east, literally that's eastward. They migrated eastward. Uh, some interpreters take this to mean to the east uh, rather than from the east. And they understand meaning going eastward to the east uh, because that's uh, symbolic uh, in itself. Uh, our uh, study guides on, uh, give an explanation of that on page 85. But uh, where it's concluded that eastward represents the movement of a rebellious people. And you can go back and read all about Adam, you know, and he exiting, being kicked out of the garden. They went eastward and so on. Uh, and now the land of uh, Shinar is, let's see if I can get a better picture here. This is the other one. Uh, this is. Cutting that up close, we have recognized here where Jerusalem is, down here, and uh, the Dead Sea, Sea of Galilee, Tyre over on the coast, uh, Babylon way up here. Well, this uh, Shinar is the land between two rivers, and that's between the Euphrates and the Tigris. And so it's this area in here. All of this. All of this area is called the Fertile Crescent. It's much different. Uh, topography and everything is different here than it is back over in this area, of what we call the Holy Land. It's got the desert between it. Uh, but that's the area that we're talking about when we talk about Shinar. And so this is where, the after the Ark, this is where they all migrated to. This is where uh, we find, out, find them all together. All right, that happen. What area would that be today? Oh well, uh, this is here's Iran. It's been Turkey. Iraq is in Turkey. In Iraq. In Iraq. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I didn't see Iran. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No what? wonder they're still having trouble. <laughs> yeah, they are. All right, and 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 the fact that they settled there. The Bible says they settled there. Uh, that, that means they were putting down roots there. Their desire was, they wanted to, that land they were calling home. All right? They, that's where they're going to stay. All right? And then verse 3 in chapter 11 says, and They said to each other, come, each other, come, let us make oven-fired bricks. They used brick for stone and asphalt for mortar. Uh, well, that's further evidence uh, of their plan to make this area their permanent home. Uh, they were going to make oven-fired bricks as opposed to just plain mud bricks. The difference was 
uh, mud bricks, you just took the clay with straw, formed it, and let the sun dry, and you had bricks. They weren't very good. They didn't hold up very well. But they, they were going to take the time then to do, to put them in another kill, a kill, basically. Be more like modern day bricks. They're hard. They would make them hard. And they would last, okay? Had good potential for lasting. Uh, they were going to, to do that, okay? So, and, and so you know they're not going to travel. If they were making these bricks, their intent wasn't to travel. You know, you couldn't travel very far carrying a load of bricks. You don't care if you. All right. And this area was different from the Holy Land area around Palestine, uh, Judea, uh, that area. Because uh, that's mainly, that's rocky. That's lots of stone were built there. You, you start with stones and you chisel stones and so on to build things. Here, they were in desert, more desert uh, land and so they're going to do it this way. And so that was their intent, all right? But here comes their, their arrogant uh, motivation, if you will. Look at verse four. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the sky. Let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, otherwise we will be scattered throughout the earth. All right. Well, obviously they had a leader, didn't they? Because the words of they and us, that means there was some agreement among themselves and somebody had to lead them in that. But it tells us that they were all uh, united in this misguided endeavor. A city made of hard, sturdy bricks and a spectacular tower. Uh, now both of those would draw accolades from somebody. I don't know who, because they, they were the, all, the only people. They were the only people. And it would not have been God based on the reasoning revealed at the end of verse four. Uh, maybe it can be said that they just wanted to be famous. They thought themselves to be famous by doing all of this. Sean Thomas uh, wrote about this and he says, I saw a post on Twitter. I don't use Twitter online to use, but social, you use Twitter. Uh, he says, I, I saw a post on Twitter the other day that, that applies to these verses. That you're not called to be famous. You're called to be faithful. Make Jesus famous. Well, we don't know what the finished tower would have looked like. If you Google Tower of Babel on your computer, on the internet, you can get a, a hundreds of opinions. Uh, and somewhere I have a slide. I don't know where it is, but... Uh, Let's see, there it is. It may have looked like this, all right, pointing to the sky. It could have looked like that, made of bricks, way up there. Uh, we've always heard that their, their intent was to be able to 
get equality with God. But there's, the Bible doesn't say that. It doesn't tell us that. Some say that rather than having this configuration, it was a ziggurat. A ziggurat was a, uh, the ancients formed ziggurats as, as monuments, if you will. They were more, they were square, more, they might be several stories high, but they'd be flat on top. On top, they built a temple, a temple either for, where they could worship or a temple where their god, the little g, would reside. Okay? Made it a place for them to meet God. That's where he would reside. We don't know what, what the configuration was. All right? But this last last phrase uh, tells us their intent. What was that? We don't do this, what? We will be scattered throughout the earth. So this is in direct opposition to God's direction. God said what? Multiply and what? Fill the earth. Okay. Their reply was what? No. No. All right. God. Yeah. God says what God has joined together, let not man put asunder. All right. People of our day say what? No. God says marriage shall be between one man and one woman. The people of our day say what? No. The Supreme Court even ruled that. Right? About land. No. Okay? We'll says we'll define it our way. Man to man, woman to woman, man to woman. Everything is okay. God created them male and female. People of our day say what? No. Gender is whatever we say it is. <clears throat> All right. So we've got some things in common with these particular people we're talking about. They were living, the people of that day were living with no regard for the Lord. Myron Osperger tells us the story of a, the late philosopher Mortimer, Mortimer Adler. Uh, he said, it's said that Dr. Adler suddenly left a discussion group at a tea, quite disgusted, slamming the door after him. One person trying to relieve the tension remarked, well, He's gone. To this the hostess replied, no he isn't. That's a closet. <laughs> so we share the same plight when we attempt to uh, go from God's presence. Alright? We just confine everything to ourselves as though we were God. And so Jeremiah 23, 23 says, am I I, a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away. Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him? Do I not fill heaven and earth? So we are never, never outside of God's presence, although we may at times feel like it and live like it. 
We're never out of reason. Nor can we thwart God's sovereignty. So let's look at this last point. An intervening God. All right. Beginning with verse 5 of chapter 11. Then the Lord came down to look over the city and the tower that the humans were building. The Lord said, if they have begun to do this as one people having the same language, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Nothing they do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down there and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. So from there, the Lord scattered them throughout the earth and they stopped the building the city. Therefore, it is called Babylon, for there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth, and from there the Lord scattered them throughout the earth. Well, the Lord came down. All right, it says the Lord came down to look over. Right, well, that's just Moses' way of, of saying that the Lord was aware of their acts of, their acts of rebellion. It's a literary device. Uh, it's the Lord's action uh, in response to the people's action. And being of one language did afford them communication unity uh, in their works of defiance of God. I I'm sure you've, you've uh, I'm sure you've seen a line of busy ants running along the ground some going one way in that line some going another way all communicating with, with, with one another they're always busy that way they're unified in whatever that task is which is usually finding food right? but they're unified if you take a stick to that line of ants and you just start stirring them around what do they do? They run in all directions. They're just as confused as they can be. Eventually, they do get back together. Uh, that's because you've done nothing to move them to source uh, and their, their homeland. But that's what happened. And so that's what was happening here. The Lord confused the people's one language to put a stop to their disobedience. And we know from chapter 10 that this was done by giving each clan what? its own language. It's interesting, I think, to note in, in uh, chapter 2 of the book of Acts, God caused just the opposite to take place. When everyone heard the gospel in their particular language, they had understanding of language that way. It all came down to hearing it in one language. So, what we learned is God always has the last word, not us. He has the last word in his judgment of us. They had refused to disperse themselves. And the, and the Bible doesn't tell us how, but the Lord took care of it in accordance with his sovereign plan to do that. All right. And so they were all scattered. All right. And as we read it, it's the, all right, they stopped building the city where they were and that place is now called Babylon. Gary Stever makes this observation. 
Babylon, the name comes from the Akkadian language of ancient Mesopotamia. It meant gateway to a god or the gate of God. And so this certainly alludes to the purpose perhaps of the tower along with the numerous other uh, ziggurats <coughs> built in that region. And in verse 9, the, the Hebrew word Babylon, which is it, the, the Hebrew word is really Babel, sounds similar to the Hebrew word translated confused, which is Babel, which suggests a jumbling or a mixing of something. In this case, it would be a mixing of, of languages. There's a word play involved in all of this. That, and so it suggests that the Tower of Babel could also be known as the Tower of Confusion. It's ironic, I think, that the people set out to make a name for themselves like they did, yet they ended up being famous, famous only for their confusion. So, and if you were to go back and study this, uh, you would see a pattern. For instance, in verse 1, where you see the whole world had one language. All right, in verse 9, we read about the language of the whole world. In, in verse 2, we read about being there. All right, verse 8 tells about being from there. See, verse, or in verse 3, we talked about each other, same from verse 7, each other. Uh, come, let's make bricks. God says in verse 7, come, let us confuse. Verse 4 said, come, let's build ourselves a city and a tower. And God says, Verse 5, that the men were building. He came to see what the men were building. Build what? They were building a city and a tower, according to verse 4. And that's what God observed in verse 5. There's a pattern there. Eric Mitchell uh, says that King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon wrote about repairing the nearby tower at the city of Borsippa, which carried the meaning, which may mean tongue tower, a tower which was never completed. It had been abandoned. And so there's some evidence of that being perhaps the tower. We don't know. A lot of expeditions have been, have been done archaeologically, archaeologically, but uh, yeah. pro never proving anything. Who is the Lord is telling the folks, you know, to build for the men, the people agree to build a tower, and then the Lord says, "Let's tear it down and scatter." It, is the Lord is He talking to who is one individual, or how is He talking to the people? The Bible doesn't tell us how He does all of that. Doesn't, doesn't say even that they uh, tore down what they were building, okay. what they started to build. That might have been one of the sun scam or one of yeah. the Yeah, we don't know. Who he was told, who, who was, let, let's do it. Who is, yeah. he, who is he telling, let's do it? Yeah. And so, I don't know. Okay. The Bible doesn't tell us. 
doesn't tell us how he, he did this, all right? Now then, if after this, if we follow on in chapter 11, chapter 11 closes by tracing the line of Noah's son Shem, traces it all the way down to Terah, the father of Abraham. And that's essentially where our next lesson will begin. Now, you might be interested in this fact. And I, at least I thought this was, was, was interesting. I always I was curious about this. The, in the Hebrew translation, when the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which was done before Jesus' time, all right, long ago by the rabbis, they translated the, the Hebrew Old Testament into Greek, all right? In the Hebrew, let's see where I can write. In Hebrew, we have Shem. All right. Well, his people, the Shemites, all right? The Shemites. The Greek for Shem, in the Greek, this is Sem. Hebrew. Greek for the people who were what? Semites. Semites. They were what? They were they were Semitic. Semitics. Does that sound familiar to you? Semitic. Today we speak of the Jews being what? Semitic. Or you heard the term the the big term in the news lately has been anti anti Semitism. Yeah, that spelling wrong. Anti-Semitism. And it all goes back to here. Semitic. So we're talking about the Jews. Find that interesting. When the legislature could not come up, finally came to grips with what that means. As to the Jews. And to me, in answer to Ken's question, when he's talking about us, who, who he's talking to, sounds like an affirmation of the Trinity, right? Mm -hmm. Jesus and the Holy Spirit talking. Yeah, how does that make the Holy Spirit? Yeah, I didn't make a point of this, but he says, let us go down. And, you know, let's just, it's, a, it's, it's like he's conferring. And, and, and many evangelicals, especially, Take that to mean the Trinity. It's sort of like let's make let's make uh, mankind in our image type thing. Let us, the us. But if you if you were asked a uh, rabbi what that means, he would say he's talking about the royal court, God in His court, which would be angels, perhaps those who are attending 
through this throne, all right? Chairman, seven, so on. So if there's, there's some room in that for that. Yeah. Now, <laughs> don't leave here confused, please. I hope I haven't. I just played all the Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah. And, and so that's something that, by the way, that we should, we should rely on. Okay. Any, any other remarks? Time to go. Okay, let's, let's pray. Our Father, we're thankful for this time together. Now we leave this place, uh, and for most of us, we're going to worship you corporately. Uh, we pray that it will be good in your sight. Uh, help us as we lift our voices in praise. May it uh, sound pleasant to you. Uh, help us to communicate uh, the words of the gospel to others uh, this morning. And may they find Jesus, is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right.